Olala, the podcast is brought to you in association with Expedia. Expedia offers thousands of hotel deals to suit all tastes and budgets, from bed and breakfast, affordable hostels, five-star hotels and everything in between. There is something for everyone. Just go to expedia.co.uk to find your ideal place to stay. Hello, I'm Fred Siriex and welcome to my podcast, Olala. Well, some of you might be wondering what it means. What is this podcast about? Well, Olala is a very simple word. And as I said it, I just had a big grin on my face. You know, it happens every time I see or hear it. And what's really interesting to me is that the same happens when others see or hear it. You know, it's like we are all conditioned with the same reaction to the sound of this beautiful, magical word. Let me do it again. Let's try. Oh la la. You see? It works. I think it's because it's kind of naughty, isn't it? And you are all naughty people. That's why you're listening to this podcast. You know, for me, it's like a feel-good sensation you get as you hear it. And the brain just can't help but to react positively to it. And we just smile automatically and without even thinking about it. It makes you lie on your feet, makes you feel awake, because it is pure pleasure and goodness. You know, for all of us, life can be so hard, so unpredictable, and we all have our share of pain. But Olala takes it away in a flash. Olala is about fun, enjoying oneself and being in the moment. You know, for me, it encapsulates what Socrates was saying. The meaning of life is about the pursuit of virtue. Basically, that's very simple. It's knowing what is good and bad, right and wrong. Olala brings about the best in people. And people are what makes life so exciting. Because without people, there is no life, there is no joy, there is no light. And we have no time to lose. Life is so short. We owe it to ourselves to enjoy life, learn and make a difference. Well, that's my motto anyway. So for me, meeting wonderful human beings, creating and sharing special bonds and to deeply connect with them, this is what it's about. Because in the end, what matters in our relationships with others is whether there is trust. And this is what I am seeking, a special encounter. Anyway, let me just do it again. One more time. Let's see how you feel about it. Listen to this. Are you ready? Oh la la. And I tell you what, I couldn't be more excited this morning because I am with my good friend, Mark King, the lead singer and bass player for Level 42. How are you, Mark? Oh, it's fantastic. Ooh la la, Fred. Well, I tell you what, Mark, you are without a doubt the most ooh la la person I know. <laughs> well, when you say it, I've started firming up, man, so you're right. It is, it's a magic thing. You are know. you? You don't need a blue pill when you say ooh la la, Fred. <laughs> Uh, but surely you don't need a blue peel. I mean, no, you're in no. your prime. Mate, I'll tell you, you know, I turned 60 last year and I feel better, fitter. You know, I had a word with myself because I was, I had let myself go a little bit sort of physically and... Uh, I mean, I haven't seen you this fit in, I mean, in years. I mean, you are looking incredible. What a shape. Well, that's kind of you to say, Fred. I mean, compared to you, man, I mean, you're ripped. I'm ripped like a used condom. So it's, <laughs> compared to you, it's dreadful. But I do feel really good. And, and I had a little word with myself to say, you've got to look after yourself, Mark, because life is amazing. And I, I have a fantastic life, you know. I, I have a fantastic wife and lovely children and stuff, and I want to make this go longer, you know. But if you go by the three score year and ten things, you know, I should be thinking that, well, I haven't got long left. So 
I owe it to myself and all the people I love. And I love so many people just to make sure I'm around to enrich your life. It's true that you do love so many people because every mm. time I see you, every time you, you meet somebody, whether we're in the street or somebody that we know, you always have a kind word, you always have a smile. And it's just something that comes naturally. It's inside you. Well, I think it's something that you can do. I think it's something that anybody can do. Were you always like that or...? Well, I, I would like to think I was, you know. I mean, it's up to you, isn't it? It's how you present yourself to the world, you know, when you get up in the morning and how you go out. And people that are handing out leaflets in the streets, I feel so bad for them that people just go steaming by. It's as if they don't even exist. So you, you don't have to take the leaflet. You can just say, oh, I'm fine, thanks, man. And, and they go, yeah, cheers, mate. But it and takes an effort to say that and, uh, and to smile to people and you just do it, it so naturally. But, but it's no effort, Fred. You can just make yourself do it. You know, you, it, it's, the choice is all yours. You can walk around with a face like a smacked ass, you know, or you can just engage with everybody that you meet. And if everybody did that, it would be so much more fun. Well, this is what Socrates said, you know, the pursuit of virtue, knowing what is good and bad and what, what you're doing is good. It's just spreading goodness in the world. Well, I hope so. You know, I hope so. Oh, I'm telling you, know, you because but... I'm really inspired by what you're saying. It just goes straight through me and I'm telling you, I'm going to keep it in. Because... Are, you f are you firming up now as well? <laughs> I am. I'm like a rod. <laughs> we, we can do fencing in a minute. Right? Yeah. After, after the... Ding! Ding, ding, touche. It's Fred's rodcast. <laughs> but you know what? Also, you know, when we go out with uh, Ria, your beautiful wife, you know, uh, uh, we're there sitting with fruitcake and we talk about it at the end of our, our, our evening and you, you always have a beautiful word for Ria. You're always looking at each other in each other's eyes. You're saying nice things to each other. She touches you, you touch her, you kiss her. Well, it's important, I mean, Fred. How long you know? have you been married for? Well, we've been together 30 years now. We've been married the last 10. And, you know, I mean, Ria's... Wonderful because she puts up with all my shit. You know, I can't be the easiest guy to live with because I'm always out and about and I'm always doing things. I'm always on the road with the band touring. But you know what, Mark? People who are in love who just met, you know, like let's say a month ago or a week ago and they are just infatuated and completely in love, it seems that they don't have the kind of relationship that you and Ria have. I mean, this is really uh, uh, inspiring. Well, that's good to hear, Fred. You know, it's another choice that you make. I mean, you have to make the effort. You know, if a relationship's not working, then you have to sort that out. Anything that's wrong in your life, you have to address it. You know, you have to be positive. You know, you can be positive or but negative. But it seems like you are as good at your relationship with Ria as you are good at playing the bass with your magic thumb. Well, I, I Ria loves my magic thumb. Does she? Yeah, man, <laughs> I'm so out. fast. <laughs> but, you know, you see, the, the I mean, it's funny because it, I, I don't want to sort of keep going back to sex, but, but, you know, sex is such a massive part of, of any relationship and, and you have to have a good sexual relationship and you have to fancy the person. You know, I met this amazing Metro D in uh, Positano when we were last there and uh, his name is Gianfranco. He runs a restaurant called Chez Black. It's his own restaurant. And we started to talk because we do the same job. And uh, this guy is very, very good looking, a, a born host, incredible. And he said, uh, I'm writing a book and it's about relationship. And uh, what he said to me, he said, um, but relationship are based on three things. There is the brain, there is the heart and there is the sex. Mm. And he went into that monologue about his book and, 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 and about what, what he thought about it, you know, and he, he kept coming back to that sex, which just like you're saying now. It's a fundamental, you know, that I think that when you first meet somebody and, you know, you, you actually, you have a sexual relationship and then that sort of turns into love and what was lust then becomes love. And if you're, if you're sort of all on the same page with it, and if you're not, that's cool as well. So can but, you have an amazing relationship without sex? 
Can you have uh, that closeness and that bond? Well, I, I mean, we have a closeness uh, together, but obviously we, we, don't, we don't. We don't. No, of course. But then you're very you, nice, but you're not my type. No, but then you don't cuddle up next to me on the sofa. <laughs> That's true. In the evenings, you know. Well, there's lots of kinds of love, Fred. You know, there, there are. You know. No, but we're talking about that love with your partner, right? Yeah, your wife. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and it's something that you know, if you're lucky in life, you get to meet a soulmate. And I'm, I'm really lucky, Fred. You know, I've been lucky all my life. And you know, to to have met Ria when I'm I met her. So many years ago in Amsterdam, you know, that I like the free spirit in her. I, I like the sort of the attitude that she had. And, and it was something that sort of in, inspired me and, and was quite sparky. So for me to have, you know, a great sexual relationship still uh, 30 years on, I mean, I'm 60 years old. Damn, you know, I mean, the if, if I want to make Rhea laugh, I just get undressed and then she rolls around on the floor laughing and... Uh, you know, she had a mirror fitted above the bed, by the way, so because she likes watching herself love. And... Oh, does she? Oh, that's <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, it's, it's all good. I'm sorry, I'm starting to squirm a bit here, you know. No, this is good. This is all good stuff. Tell me, you know, for this podcast, I ask every guest to bring a quote, a philosophical quote. Did you bring one? Uh, well, you, you've only just asked me that. So I'll have a think and we'll get back to that in a minute. Yeah. But okay, the, no problem. The Well, uh, there is... There are so many amazing philosophical quotes. It's probably not one of my strong points. I tell you what, maybe I'm going to give you your quote because I remember every conversation I've had with you and one day you said to me, we were at Galvina Windows, and you said to me, mate, I want it all and I want it now. Yeah. And, and, and it's stuck in my mind. Well, it's true, Fred, I do. And there's so much still to do and there's still so much I would like to do. And it's all out there. You know, the world is an amazing place. And which is one of the reasons I find the whole Brexit thing so depressing is because we're shrinking. We're shrinking that. We're shrinking the ability that we all have to be global. And uh, that's where we should be going. You know, I was always inspired growing up, as, as were all my the band members in Level 42, but by science fiction. You know, because science fiction is a, is a release. It's a, a taking off of the blinkers. And you, you can buy into these fantastic ideas and the idea of getting out into space and going to other planets, you know. And it always struck me early on that, that the world we're on, you know, because we're always going on space travel, wouldn't it be great? You know, there's the Death Star and there are these enormous things that they always seem to create in Hollywood and in the books. But it, it, what is the world? What is Earth if it isn't this huge spaceship that's spinning around in space? We're on this massive spaceship right now. And I just love that idea. That's, that's the thing you want to do. Some people, when they look up at the stars at night, say they feel insignificant because they think they don't matter because they're nothing compared to the cosmos. I have another take on that. It makes me feel massive because I feel part of it. And so I feel that... It is galactic, you know, it's cosmic. And what do you mean by you want it all? Well, I want, I want to try everything. I want, I want to have a go, you know, you should try everything once, they say, you know. Well, you're certainly uh, trying on the Morachet. You're doing well on that one. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're well, on that one. I love my wines. It's true, you know. One of the lovely things about being in this business for so long is we have a thing called a rider that's part of the contract when you go and do a show. And the rider is what they supply for you in your dressing room when you get there. And it was something that I never really sort of... I used to have a kettle, tea bags and skim milk, and that was kind of my rider. But I upgraded it, and I have a bottle of Montrachet now and a bottle of Gevry Chambertin. Oh, lovely. And, uh, it, it, and it's great. And so, I mean, this is pretty rock and roll. I mean, you really are a rock star. 
Well, I mean, I is it know. what rock stars do? You know, have a bottle of Montrachet in their dressing room, party with Madonna until the, the early hours in the morning? Yeah, is it what you, you do? You know, the, 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 one of the real ironic things about when we toured with Madonna, and it's not as if she was the chattiest woman in the world with us and stuff, but she was very good, and I found her really inspiring. When was uh, this? When did you party oh, with this, her? This was back in 1987. We toured, you know, must have been about three months around the States. So you toured with her for three months? Yeah, yeah, we, we were opening for her. And um, I'd, I'd done this ridiculous thing of... of breaking my foot the day before the first show in Miami. So I, I had this half cast on my leg, which I couldn't stand, so after three weeks I cut it off. But anyway, just sort of wind forward. About about two months into the tour, we had a day off and we were out in the desert somewhere, somewhere in Texas, or I, I believe. We, we had a day off and so we threw a party for... What, in the uh, desert? Yeah, it, it, in a holiday inn, you know, in the desert. And uh, we, we threw a party for her crew because they'd been so kind to us. And, and we had this party. And it just so happened that my, my nephew from New Zealand was in town. He was doing something, uh, you know, he was doing something in the States, studying over there. I said, hey, Andrew, come along. We're having a party tonight. So he came in and, and we're kind of just, everybody's having a good time. And then Madonna showed up. And she really took a shine to him, so she ended up dancing with him all night. What, and he, did she fancy him? Yeah, I think so. And he got a kiss, you know. Or what, what, a French well, kiss or a kiss on the cheeks? No, uh, no, it was a, a, a oh. just a really nice kiss. And Andrew, he was a tall, good-looking guy, you know. Oh, there we go. Still is. So, uh, yeah. But is she sure. party hard? I mean, is she a rock star like yeah. you? Is she like the Montrachet? Or? Oh, uh, uh, well, I don't know I don't know what her drinking habits are because I wasn't Montrachetting back then myself. I mean, what were you doing? Black towering? <laughs> no, no, it was worse, man. It was dark rum was my poison oh, back that, then. You know, in fact, then we had a, a bottle of Woods 100 on the rider, so uh, which is pretty strong stuff. So. Wow, Mark, you've had so many hits. How many did you have? <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we have had a few, Fred. It's uh, yeah, yeah, it's good, but that's that's because it's been a long career, you know, and um, we were never, you know, I'm not exactly eye candy, am I? So it's not as if the band made its way through because it's like. Oh, you know, it's a band of babes. We were never that. So That's it's only on merit. That's <laughs> only on merit. It's only on merit. I think we must be the only band that ever... We, we went on top of the pops with a song called The Chinese Way back in 1982 or three or something. 82. And we're the only band in history, I think, who ever went on top of the pops. And a week later, the record went down because I think people liked the music. But then when they saw us, they just thought, really? oh, no, you know. I hope they didn't take records back. That would be awful, wouldn't it? No, I'm sure they didn't. I've so just I'm, seen them have this back. How many records have you sold? Well over 30 million. 30 million, my God. Yeah, which is not bad. But, you know, we've been doing it a long time, Fred, so I would hope it, you know, and I know it keeps going. There's an incredible resilience about the music from the 1980s that seems to resonate. You know why? Because the 80s is when you were allowed to do whatever you wanted. Yeah, You could true. smoke, you didn't get cancer. Yeah. You could drive a car without putting your seatbelt on. It was real freedom. There, there was, you know, that nobody did the thinking for you. But tell me, Mark, what's your secret to churn out all these eats? How do you do that? I mean, obviously, you're talented, you're good at what you do, but how do you do it? Well, it's something you, you, you can also learn to do, Fred. You know, it's a bit like we were talking about a mindset that you take if you, you know, if you, if you want to go out and present yourself to people and, and spread love, you know, and sort of pay it all forwards. And music's the same thing. It's something you could learn. When Level 42 began back 1980, it was just four friends who had no real vision of where we were going to be going. And, and we used to have talks about you know, what we would all be doing in five years' time because the band surely would have gone by the wayside then. So it's something you did on the side, in it, your it, mind? 
But the thing is that the the mindset that that we sort of actually got to develop, and I'm very grateful to the record company actually, Polydor Records back then, because they, and it wasn't, they weren't doing us a favour, it was just the normal thing was that they would give you a contract for five albums. They they actually give you a contract for three, but then they have the option on two more. So you make an album a year, so you're talking five years. And during that time, of course, you're actually supported by the label because they give you advances on each album and stuff. So you, you've got money to live on. And that gives you the time then that you don't have to go and hold down a day job. You don't have to do the things that take up the time. So straight away you, you, you lived off your music. Yeah, absolutely. I, I've been doing that, Fred, since I was 11 years old, actually. When I was 11, I, I had three gigs on the Isle of Wight playing with a band called Pseudo Foot. And we used to do Friday night at the Gurnard Hotel. We did... Um, you were 11 uh, when you were doing that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cause What I, did I, your parents say? Oh, my parents were completely supportive. I was getting paid five pounds a night for those gigs. So the three shows, the three gigs that I would do every weekend was 15 quid. And I didn't realise until later that my dad, as a prison officer, working his, you know, 48 hours a week or whatever he was doing back then, was on something like 17 pounds 50. You know, that didn't occur to me as an 11-year-old kid. So you were earning more than your dad already at that, at that age? No, I was earning nearly as much as my dad. And my dad was trying to keep a family and, you know, hold down all the things and, you know, pay the uh, lease on the car and all the bits and pieces that you do when you've got young families. So, uh, you know, bang, a fiver, go on the table for mum. I've just always been really lucky with money. I've never, I've never made a problem with money. But you're a very generous man, Mark. There aren't many people as generous as you. But that's because, Fred, you should pay it forwards. You know, I've been so lucky. It's my great fortune. But what's the point? But a lot of What? people are lucky and they're not as generous as you. But you're not just generous with your money. You're generous in spirits. You know, you just meet the guy at a coffee shop and you smile to them and you give them this warm eye contact. You make them feel good. Well, it's, it's cool, you know. You no, it's cool, it's, but it's just it, not normal. It, well, it should it's be rare. normal. It should be normal, you know. And don't get hung about money. You know, money. What money's useless if it just sits somewhere doing nothing. This podcast is brought to you in association with Expedia. Now you all know that I like things in my life to run smoothly at work, in my restaurant, at home, and especially when I am away traveling. Expedia offers loads of great deals on flights, activities, and accommodation all in one place. So you can book your trip, save money, and ensure everything runs as smoothly as my life. Oh la la. I heard that your uh, thumb was insured for three million pounds <laughs> once upon a time. Yeah, do you want to squeeze it? Give it a oh, wow. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Isn't it nice? Eh? It's got a callus on it, isn't it? It's like, it's like I've got three big toes. So whose idea was that? Was it you? Was it the record company? No, the record company took it out because we just sort of signed a, you know, a sizable deal you know, for the next few albums and stuff. And, and it was just really their way of making sure. Because I, I like... You know, my home on the Isle of Wight, you know, I come from a family of farmers. So for me, tractors and chainsaws and diggers and getting in the garden and greenhouses is just sort of, that's how I've grown up. And um, that makes people nervous when they think that, you know, I'm always mindful, you know, if I'm clumping something with a claw hammer, uh, you know, mind the thumb because it's uh, bang, ow! Uh, and uh, that disaster. Well, it would be a disaster because then you'd have to cancel this. You couldn't get in the studio. You couldn't do this, that, and the other. But it's always been my thing. I remember when I first got my, my JD bass guitar back in 1980 with our first advance, and I bought this beautiful bass. 
And I so cherished it and I would polish it every day. I just kept cleaning it and I so looked after it. And yet with all of this care and this love that I was giving this instrument, I'd turn around and go crack, I'd hit something and I'd make a big chip in the neck. And then the strap had suddenly come off and it would go bang and you'd get this big oh. big crack on the end of it. So I've, after that, I've just thought... It's like when you buy a beautiful car and you scratch it. You yes. know, you're like, oh, no. So, so the best thing is, is just don't buy into that side of things, you know. So I stopped polishing, did so or the other, and then the bass took care of itself, you know. And, and I just feel about that way with getting out and working on the dig, you get the chainsaw out, you know, if you've got fallen timber and stuff, cut it up, you know, it's fine. Because if you try and mollycoddle yourself, you just miss out on so much. And also, it has a way of biting you right in the ass because something bad will happen to you because you're trying to mollycoddle yourself, you know. You'll, you'll trip on the stairs and end up breaking your neck. So just get stuck in, you know. And you know your style on the bass, it's, uh, it's very unique. What slap. You, it, yeah, it's, it's slap. It, is it, it, everybody does that or is, are, you the, are you the one who invented it? No, 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 I'm not. The first guy I ever saw doing that was Stanley Clark, who, who I, I sort of first saw about 1974. And he had a track called Lopsy Lou. And I, I didn't see him doing it, but I heard, it, heard him doing it. And then sort of wind forward a few years and I got to work in Macari's and a uh, music shop in London. And you get these sort of visiting American musicians would come in and they'd pick up a bass and sort of plug it in and they'd sort of loosely slap the strings. And it turns out, and I've later found, that it, they were actually copying a guy called Larry Graham, who was the bass player in Sly and the Family Stone. And, you know, one of those lovely things that as the years have passed and stuff, I've become really good friends with Larry and he's been very generous and invited me. You know, I've done a couple of runs at uh, the Jazz Cafe in London with him. And then we did this amazing show at the North Sea Jazz Festival in Den Haag in Holland, which came about because somebody saw us doing this thing at Jazz Cafe and they got in touch with Neil and said, you know, can Mark... One thing always lead to another. Always leads to another. That's it. Never say no. You know, so I... I was out and I was getting up because Larry and I just used to do this bass off. Larry and Graham Central Station, that's his band, they do this, this amazing funk set. And then halfway through, Larry would just start sort of slapping. And then I'd just walk on and we'd just do this bass duel, you know. And it was so... I learned so much from Larry. Slapping. I love that, that, yeah, that word. Yeah. Well, it's such it's a... It, slapping it. I, I get it. I it, get it. It's wonderfully percussive and, you know, and it, it's a great... If you're a vocalist too, which Larry is also, it's a wonderful accompaniment to yourself because instead of just playing fingerstyle, which is n nothing wrong with fingerstyle at all, but when you slap, you're playing the drums as well. And it was Larry that said the reason Larry developed that style is because when he used to play, you know, in church with his mother, they used to have his mother would be on piano and sing. Larry would play bass and there would be a drummer and then one day the drummer didn't show up. So Larry had to try and up the, the game and supply the drum part as well. So that's how there's so in you know, instead of going boom, 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 when you slap it you go dum chicka boom chicka dum chicka dum chicka boom chicka dum. That's the rhythm. And, and and then suddenly the whole thing rolls along a bit better, you know. And then if you sing on top of that, you know, it, it's you, you kinda of got this this whole rhythmic section and it makes people's foot tap, you know. You so. feel uh, you feel at home when you're on stage, don't you? I love it. You know, the the instrument itself holds no Mysteries, which is lovely. And, you know, I think part of the reason for that, Fred, is that that's not what I chose to do. I would have loved to be a drummer. When I was doing these gigs at 11 and all through my teens, I was drumming in bands. And that's, that's you can what still I... still drum? I, yeah, yes. Drumming is something that, that never leaves you, you know. And it's uh, any, any advice I would give to any musician beginning out, you know, uh, is um, play some drums, you know. Get, get yourself some drumsticks and 
get some sort of independence of the limbs because the drumming thing is, is actually across your four limbs. You know, you have your bass drum, you have your hi-hat, and then you have your left and right hand. And you just, it, that kind of polyrhythmic thing, it develops a sense of time in you and improves your sense of time. And then, then you can just transpose that to whatever the instrument is that you really want to play. But I wanted to be a drummer. The shop in London didn't have any drums I was selling, so I, I just sort of transposed a bass. And when we started jamming with Level 42 in 1980, Phil Gould, you know, my, my dear friend, an amazing drummer, he had a drum kit, which I, I actually didn't possess at the time. So I just said, so me and Boone, Boone Gould, his brother, uh, who's an incredible guitarist, uh, we used to swap, you know, Boone would play bass on a couple of things and then I'd play guitar and then we'd swap that around because we were just jamming and just having fun. So I've never been that precious about it because it's sort of in my heart of hearts, I'm always sort of waiting for the big break when I can get to play drums, you know. And One of my favourite songs of yours is Lessons in Love. Oh, How did yeah, this come about? Well, that was... We'd done a tour the year before we wrote Lessons in Love or actually running up to it and there was a song called A Physical Presence that we used to play and as always, when you take something out live, you know, tracks don't fade and, and you're always looking at how, how to arrange the song and do something. And I just came up with this, this chord sequence. And da, 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 da. How did you come da, up with that? Da, da. Was it in your head? No, it's just something, you, you need something, so you come up with something. Uh, you so know, you just, you've got your guitar and you just, you just, you just play yeah, away. Well, you know, dum 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 which actually turned out to become the verse of Lessons in Love. Yeah. And then I was also kind of inspired, the, the, the idea of picking it up a bit because of a song that Vera Lynn had, which was, we'll meet again, don't know where, don't know when. And that, 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 there was something about the two things that to me was sort of uplifting. So anyway, when we were looking for the songs, because the record company was saying, guys, we need, we need a single to put out in Europe, because something about you was number seven in the charts in America at that time. But, America, you know, Europe was now being ignored. So they were saying, we need something really quickly. So we all got together around Christmas time, 85, 86. And I threw this thing out and I said, look, I've been jamming around on the... I said, you remember the ending that we had for uh, A Physical Presence? I said, look, this is what I've got now. I said, I just, I've got it here. I don't know where to go from that. And Wally Badder, who, who was our, our sort of uh, producer and, and I was the fifth member in the studio with us in terms of production and keyboards and things, he said... Uh, why don't you invert the sequence? So he just sort of turned it around because it was... And then he went... Turned it round. So you just do the whole thing backwards. And it was like stroke of genius, you know? And then Mike Lindup said... Came up with a melody. So you just bounce ideas off of each other all the time. And when it goes, Fred, it goes really, really fast, you know, which is, which is a beautiful thing. And it's and you take an idea that you have and you run with it. I've just done a thing, and this is incredible because I don't know when this podcast is going to go out, but three weeks ago, my good friend Sean Keaveney from Six Music had taken his boys to Greece to watch Foo Fighters, you know, uh, an incredible rock band playing this amphitheatre in Greece, and uh, he'd taken his, his boys, Arthur and Wilf, to go and see the band and afterwards hopefully meet the band and have a picture with Dave Grohl and Taylor Hawkins. And for some bizarre reason, during the gig that Dave and Taylor do this sort of little rap thing between each other, you know, talking and saying 
Taylor, you know, if you, you could play with anybody, who, who would you play with? And for some reason, he just said, Mark effing King. I can say it. It's a podcast. I said, Mark fucking King, man. And he said, oh, dude, you know, and all this, that and the other. Anyway, Sean, because we, me and Sean are good mates, afterwards he said, you mentioned Mark when you were on stage. He said, I'm a my friend. Taylor went, dude, can you hook us up? So Sean phoned me up and said, can I give him your email? I said, yeah, yeah, please do. Next day, I get an email from Taylor. says, uh, well, I can't do it because it's an email, isn't it? And, but he had his phone number on there, so I emailed him back, gave him my phone number. Bang, suddenly this text comes through. Then the phone rings. And he said, yeah, fuck it, dude, you know, let's just talk. And then he just said, I'm, I'm making an album. Would love to duet with you. He said, I'm doing all these duets. You know, would you be on it? I said, yeah, sure, you know, when, when are you doing this? And he said, well, he said, I'm nearly finished. He said, but I've got a song that I really would like to do and I want you on it. He said, can I get my engineer to send you the stems? You know, for, for the dear listener at home, the stems are, are sort of digital tracks that you can sort of just stick up in the Dropbox and then I go and I download it. I put it into my system at home, into the computer, and I've got the multi-track, if you like, there, but sort of condensed, but all the bits that are relevant. Uh, and Taylor sent me the lyrics and... To cut a long story short, I'm on his record. And it was just incredible because I, I sang the part and I played some bass and, you know, I sent him an MP3 and said, is this what you had in mind? He said, dude, it's awesome. Just play a bit more bass at the end. So I stuck some more bass on it and it's done and dusted. And I'm so looking forward to it too because I'm taking me and the girls are going to see them at Reading on the, the, the weekend and we'll go back and I'll actually meet the guy for the first time because three weeks ago... And you haven't met him? Never met the guy. And you've done uh, a record with him. And now I'm on his next album, his solo album. Brilliant. So um, what about the way you, um, you know, the way you approach life? Is it the same way that you approach music? Well, I, I don't Your know. creativity yeah. and that passion, that enthusiasm, that drive. Fred, you're very kind, man. You know, I, I would hate people to think that I'm, I'm this really lovely guy because I'm not. I'm, I'm certainly far from perfect. You know, sometimes the black dog comes along and, and you feel a bit down and stuff. But if you're lucky, and I've always been lucky, it always seems to come back to that to me, you know, you can dig in and pull yourself out of it and then crack on and you, you just have to really reflect on the good things. That's the thing. It's always maintain a positive attitude. Back in 1974, when I'd seen Stanley Clark and Return to Forever, I was more, because I was a drummer then, I was so in love with this drummer called Lenny White. So I wrote him a letter. And exactly one year later, and, and I've got the letter at home on my wall, Lenny wrote back and he was such a sweet man, you know, and, and he gave me all of this really good advice. And I can't tell you how important he that is. He took the time to write it. He took the time to write it. It's all in, uh, all handwritten. Yeah. And there's phone numbers on it, his addresses on it, and it just ends up... But with, the point of this the, is that you're a trier. You were 11, 12, 13 at the time? Uh, yeah, I would have been 14 or... No, 15, no, 15, maybe 16. 15, 16. Uh, but you, were, you, you drive... You yes. are driving your life. Yeah, you are you're, going you're, somewhere and you decide where you're going. Yeah, but nobody else is going to do that for you, Fred. You know, for anybody, anybody out there. You know, we all come in the same way. We're all going to go out the same way. It's down to you how you want to crack on, you know, and don't expect anybody to did do it for you. Did your parents maybe say, why don't you write to this guy? Or did you just decide off your own back? No, of course not. No, the, the, my, my mum and dad just never got involved in, in that side of things. They were the most incredibly supportive people. You know, they bought me my first drum kit. They, they You know, anything I needed to do. My mum, bless her, when I was, because obviously I couldn't drive at 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. So all those years, my mother was driving me to the gigs. And because I'm an 11-year-old kid, 
and kids never do any tidying up or packing up. So my mum would come in, help me set the drums up. She'd come in at the end of the gig, you wow. know, and then she'd help break it all down, put it in the car, drive. And you go home. there and you perform on stage. Yeah, like a and pro. I just sit there. And I'm, well, I'm not really like a pro because there's sometimes. Well, you were good enough to, mom, to, to headline, you know, whatever, the local pub or whatever. Yeah, you know? but my mum always reminds me, she said that she could walk in sometimes and I'm yawning on the drums. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know bless her but anyway back to Lenny White he wrote to me and all of his advice was great and it was very positive and he just said remember Mark a man makes his own choices and always maintain a positive attitude and I really took that to heart at 16 and I thought that so is, it, that it, it got into your heart it never left completely you. completely and I've carried that through with me all my life much to the chagrin of poor old Lenny and his wife is that Freddie Laker just started this cheap flights to New York so I bought one and I went to New York and I showed up at his house because he'd written his address in Queens in New York, knocked on the door, and uh, his wife answered. She was lovely. And she said, yes. And I said, oh, hi, I'm Mark King. I wrote Lenny White a letter. I'm from the Isle of Wight. She said, yeah, the kid from the Isle of Wight. Oh, how lovely to see you. How old were you when you went to see him then? Uh, well, I would have been just turned 17, I think, because the letter took a year to actually reply, because I, I didn't expect to get a reply. And then I did, a year and later. you turned up at his doorstep. I turned up on his doorstep. Hello, it's Mark from the Isle of Wight. And, it's, and it's, so I said, you know, is Lenny in? And she said, no, he's in, uh, he, he's in Los Angeles. <laughs> Did she invite you for a couple? Or? No, no. And, but she saw, obviously, my lip was starting to go, you know, and I was, I was probably filling up with tears because I'd gone all that way. And, and it didn't even occur to me to see if the guy would be in on it. <laughs> Certainly he was, he was the other side of America. But, yeah, but you're 17, no, you're yes, a little boy. I know, you're not thinking. And, you know, and, but she said, well, look, Mark, she said, why don't you give me a contact number because he's coming back the day before I... I had to fly home. She said, when are you going back? And I said, this. She said well, look, Lenny get, gets back the day before. Give me a number. And when he gets home, he'll call you. And you know, he did. So the last day that I was there in New York, I went back to his house and he welcomed me in. And he had Donald Blackman, the guy who'd been producing this uh, album called Tales of the Astral Pirates. They played me. I was the first. Oh I was the God. first person to hear this album. I'm getting goosebumps. He took me. That he, is story. He, he took me to the basement, and he he had his drum set up there. And I, I you know, and then in the corner there was this uh, little orange. Did you play pit. together? No, we didn't, because he, he said, "Oh, Mark," he said, "I'm sorry that the drums aren't all set up at the moment," because I really wanted to show him. You know, I don't know what I was thinking this about going over la, there. La, this you is know. ooh-la-la. It is ooh-la-la. Yeah, you know. Anyway, wind forward a few years, 1986, we'd just done this run at Wembley. So then you became who, who you are. You became Mark King, level 42. Yeah, you yeah, were always uh, Mark uh, King at the end of the day because and, this is why uh, you are where you are now. And I, I'd had no contact with, with Lenny, you know, in the sort of preceding years because, you know, I, I went back to England and all this. That, the other. He told me a great thing, though, because, you know, he said, what are you doing here, Mark, in New York? And I said, well, I, I said, this is where it's happening, isn't it? He said, man, he said, people have said this. All my life, they always say, you know, he said, if I'm in New York, they say, Lenny, it's happening in L.A. He said, if I go to L.A., they say, dude, it's happening in London. He said, if I go to London, they say, oh, it's happening in New York. So it's said, happening where you are. Exactly. And that's what Is Lenny it happening said. here right now? It is. I'm firming up again, Fred. I'm getting so <laughs> ooh-la-la. <laughs> 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 so you make your own luck wherever you are. Yes, you do. And, and that's what Lenny said. Remember, man, uh, Mark, a man makes his own chances. And you, you have to do that, you know. And that, that's in any aspect of your life, you know. It's how you want to present yourself to people, how you meet people how you look them in the eye, how you smile, you know. You also supported um, Freddie Mercury, the Queen. Yeah, we went around 1985. We, we had a, a, an amazing series of shows. We sort of started in Paris, I think, at the Forest National, and we went across, you know, Belgium and Germany, and we did these lovely festivals. 
and that once again was just very just very inspiring you know and and since then I've been lucky enough uh, unfortunately after Freddie passed away but I've been lucky enough to play with Brian May and Roger Taylor is Brian May a good guitarist he is incredible guitarist brilliant i mean yeah. you were telling me i mean you're 60 mark and you're touring more than ever you're doing more yeah. festivals than yeah. you've ever done we we've had a fantastic season this year was the viagra is uh, it hey, <laughs> i'm here all week no it's um I just love doing it, Fred, you know. I, why wouldn't I love doing it? You know, I, I get to hang out with my best friends because all the guys in the band were a seven-piece these days. They're all sweethearts, you know. We like hanging out. Mike Lindup, I've known Mike 40 years now, and we never have a crossword. You know, we lead separate lives outside of the band, but when we get together... But you're not really 60 then. You're probably ageless. You're probably 25 in your head. Well, in my head, that's exactly what I am, Fred. I am 25, and I, I probably shamefully... You know, I don't act like a six-year-old, but why would I want to? What is 60 anyway? It's just a solid number. You know, my band's called Level 42. It's just a number. It's a bit of numerology. It's how you feel inside. You know, it really is. And in my head, you know, when my dad passed away 10 years ago, I remember him saying, you know, Nipper, I was 23, still 23 years old in here, you know. He said, not, not this, not what you're seeing on the bed. And I just totally get it. I, I say, yeah, I know, Dad. I know how you feel because I was 50 then. And, um, you know, I, I completely understood it because I didn't feel 50 then. I don't know how you're supposed to feel, but I do know when I meet some people that come across as being old and they're probably... They stop believing, 20, I think, 20 years. Or... Yeah, there's something, there's a light going out inside them. And, you know, and that's so sad because it, it's all gone then. You know, the, what else is there? Man, get up. Do something. Do something. Enjoy yourself. Enjoy yourself. You know, it's later than you think. Yeah, that, exactly. Exactly. That's, you know, that, that, for me, that's what it's about. It's about being good and enjoying yourself and just, just having fun. Yeah, yeah. And, and try not to hurt anybody along the way and try and spread the love. You know, pay it all forward and you'll, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. Well, Mark, listen, that was so inspiring. That was such a fun, fun time with you. I mean, it always is. Thank you very much, Mark. Thank you for coming on the podcast. My pleasure. Have a great day. Thanks. Oh la la, the podcast was brought to you in association with Expedia. Expedia offers thousands of hotel deals to suit all tastes and budgets. Choose from bed and breakfast, affordable hostels, five-star hotels, and everything in between. There is something for everyone.